Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, uh, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. Scripture for today's sermon comes from Psalm 46, 1 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Hillary. You guys doing okay this morning? It's good to be with you guys today. If you've got a Bible, open to this passage in Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, the words I think will be on the screen uh, throughout our time together. And uh, I'm really excited not only to be here, but to open this passage of Scripture with you. This is a, a passage of Scripture that has meant a lot to me throughout my Life as a Christian, uh, it's a psalm that I've come back to over and over again. There are certain psalms particularly that you just feel like, I don't have to do a lot of translation work. I can just sort of take the words of the psalm and make it my own prayer. And that's been this one for me. But I will tell you, as I sat to prepare this, uh, there's a lot of things that I thought I knew about this passage that I didn't know as, as well as I thought I did. There's a lot of new things here for me, so I'm excited to, to open that to you today. And we're in between sermon series. If you've been around Frontline, you know that our steady diet of preaching is working through books of the Bible. We just finished up 1 Corinthians. We've got Genesis coming for us just after Labor Day. And so in these weeks in between, we're, we're doing uh, standalone sermons, or another way of saying that that's probably better, is sermons from parts of Scripture we wouldn't otherwise be in in our longer studies. So today, Psalm 46, and uh, I'm excited uh, to see where we're going. So if you would please pray for me, I'll pray for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Sound good? All right. Our God, we come to you today in the strong name of Jesus, our Lord. The only way we really get to come to you, and you hear our prayer today not because our prayers are good or because we're good people. You hear our prayer today because we offer them in Jesus' name. And so, Father, would you please hear the prayers that were offered earlier in the service, um, those suffering this morning in Choctaw, God, we ask that uh, 
you would sober us in your presence when we recognize the world is not as it should be, but it's also true that we're not as we should be. And so we come before you believing and trusting and anchoring in that you're a God of grace that makes change to sinners. And so would you please make change in us today? Edify us today. Restore belief or restore faith in the room where it's been lost. I pray for the one here today who is apart from faith in Jesus that they might walk out of this room today with faith in Jesus. You can do that, God. We want to take up the cry of Scripture that says there's, there's nothing too difficult for, for you and your arm is not too short to save. And so as we think about who you are in those kinds of ways, would you help us understand your word as we come before it today? And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Uh, well, I grew up an only child, uh, and so it's funny now being a dad of four that I get to see so many of the sibling dynamics in my house that I missed out on as, as a kid, you know, like if I just didn't have anyone to turn to and pester besides my mom or something, you know, and that wasn't a good idea. Uh, and so now as a dad of four, I get to see these things and the way that my kids will just pester each other and sneakily steal things from each other and just push each other's buttons because they know that they can and they know what buttons to push and that's what you do when you're bored, you know, just to pass time. And so for me growing up, I... Uh, if I were to experience these things, I had to go to a friend's house. My best friend growing up had a little brother, and there was just sort of an unwritten rule. We didn't need to write it down. We didn't need to say it out loud. It was just sort of an understanding that at some point in my time at my best friend's house, we were going to pick a fight with his little brother, and that's how we were going to pass time. When we were done playing video games, we were done watching TV, when we were done doing whatever else, I don't know, let's fight, you know? And then we'll have a bag of chips and hug it out, and it'll be great at the end of it. Uh, one particular day, I had this memory in my mind here where uh, my, my best friend didn't really want so much in the fight, but I did. I didn't have a little brother, so I just picked the fight, and he and I duked it out. But the, the, mo the moment that's burned in my mind is uh, <laughs> one day where the, the wrestling kind of went too long, where it was like, I'm not sure that we're doing this for fun anymore. I think we're actually doing this. Like, tempers were flaring, like fists were being thrown. And uh, Mr. Miles heard what was happening in his living room from another different room. He peeked his head out, gave a quick assessment of the situation, he walked in and he leveled one word. Like one of those just dad moments. All of us have experienced something like this from a coach, from a teacher, from a dad, where it's like drop tone voice, taking authority, enough. Right? When that happens, little brother stands up, I stand up, big brother who's watching all this happen, who's sitting on the couch, he stands up. And it was one word in a world of meaning. One, he didn't need to say another word. He just gave us a look and a word. And it was as if the legendary thing about that moment was as, it was as if he was able to look at all of us in the eye at the same time. Each of us got our own look, but somehow at the same time, if somehow that can happen in dad strength and dad eyes, you know. And that one look and that one word spoke to each of us in a unique way, and we all sort of knew it. The look to the older brother was, you're just going to let this happen? You're not going to defend your brother even just a little bit. You're just going to let this happen. The look to me was as if to say, this is my house, that's my son, and you've gone too far. Enough. The look to the little brother was as if to say, I need you to know that I've got your back. Even if no one else does, I've got your back, and I need you to know that, and I need these other boys to know that. I've got your back. Enough. Enough. 
Here's what I want you to do. In a moment, like, I'm telling a story that's like, it's unique to me, it's not unique to me. You know something of a story like this. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment like that, and I want you to roll it up onto God. Take your redeemed imagination, magnify this exponentially. Take that sort of authoritative voice that's able to melt a moment and roll that up onto God. And if you can do that with me this morning, you'll start to get a sense of the heart in the passage before us. Who is God for his people? And how does he act on their behalf? You see, what's happening in Psalm 46, it's an Israelite song. It's now a song for followers of Jesus. We're told in the superscript, which is the words above verse 1 that we typically pass over when we read the Psalms. If you notice there, if you have a Bible, we're told that this is instructions to a choir master. Meaning this is a song that was meant to be sung not just one time, but rehearsed over and over again by the people of God. Think about this song, the intentions of it were that it would be on repeat for God's people. It's a song of consolation. It's a song of comfort. It's a song of courage. And the driving burden of these lyrics is this, just sort of set the stage of where we're going. The driving burden of these lyrics is this, hear it clear. The confidence for God's people is God himself. The confidence for God's people is God himself. Listen, he will fight for you. This song is making it clear today. You can drop your shoulders. You really can cast your fears on him. Because why? Your father's shadow is a safe place to stand. Your father's shadow is a safe place to stand, just like it was for little brother that day in the living room. The shadow of your father is a safe place to stand. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Psalms is a prayer book. It's a song book, and it has been for God's people across all time. And the reason we're given the longest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, in the middle of our Bible, the reason we're given it is, is to let, let us know that God actually understands our emotional life. Like he understands the chaos under the hood. He understands the internal conflicts that you have, the doubts that you have, the places of unbelief. He understands your fears, your insecurities, your anxieties. He understands your fragility. He understands. The book of Psalms lets us know that because so much of the book is about expressing all of our fragility to God. So it's a book that lets us know that God understands your emotions. But listen, it's also a book that we've been given so that our emotions can be reshaped. It's not just that God understands your emotions because isn't it true that so many of your emotional narratives feed you lines that tell you that God actually isn't there? So many of our emotions cause us to doubt what's true in God. So the book of Psalms lets us know, hey, I understand your frailty, but I also want your frailty to be reshaped about what's strong and sturdy and true in God. That's Psalm 46. And so what happens is this song is composed in 11 verses. Three sections, or three verses, uh, 11 verses or three sections, and each one of them leads into the next. It's sort of a, a, a song that builds with each section, and we'll take each of them in turn. So I want you to look at the first with me. In verses one to three, we're given a high view of God as protector. Notice the opening lyric to this song. God is our refuge and our strength. God is our refuge and strength. This song starts with a big declaration. This opening lyric is intended to actually cause you to lean forward in your chair, as it were. 
It's actually intended to cause you to lean forward. We just said something really big. God is a refuge and a strength. Where is this song going? Where is the lyricist taking us? The place of security and courage is God and God alone. And the writer is really intentional with this, guys. He's saying, your refuge and your strength is not God plus. Your refuge and your strength is God, full stop. He's really intentional with that. So just to put some teeth on it, your refuge and your strength is not money. Although sometimes we think it is. Your safe place, your stability, your sturdiness, your courage is not the good opinions of other people about you. Sometimes we think it is. If I could just have people think about me or talk to me in a certain way or treat me in a certain way, then I would be safe and, safe and stable. Your security and your strength is not the victory or the success of your preferred political brand. If I could just get certain people in offices and certain colors to beat out other colors, well, then I would be strong and safe. No, 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 no. It's not your achievements. Your, your strength and your refuge is not in your ability to control situations and to control the outcomes of certain situations and the way certain people act. And sit. That's not your refuge. That's not your strength. Listen, by definition, if your refuge or your strength is connected to anything that could be taken away from you or betray you or collapse, then your refuge and your strength is not a refuge or strength, it's a mirage. If your refuge or strength can betray you, then it's not actually what you think it is. It's just sort of you piecing something together out of insecurity to protect yourself when the bottom falls out. The bottom will fall out, but that can't protect you when it does. And so God is the only place of true refuge and true strength. Why? Because he's the only one who can never be shaken. He's the only one. Listen, Christian, there's never been a moment when your God has been made to flinch. There's never been a moment when your God has been made to second guess. He's never been rivaled. He never will be. He's never been threatened. He's never been anxious. He's never been unsure. He's never been insecure. He's never woke up on the wrong side of the bed as if to change his emotional disposition toward you. That's never happened. This is why he's the only place of real assurance. Real assurance is only found in him because he's the judge who levels the verdict. He can actually give it and mean it. He's the only place of refuge and strength. And so this is why the songwriter really intends to grab your attention with this opening lyric and draw you in. You just said something big about God. Now where are we going? Notice the next line. He says, he's a very present help in trouble. Listen, God God isn't simply an observer of your trouble. God isn't simply, we don't have a press box God. I'll stand up here and see how things are going on field level and see how you'll perform. That's not who our God is. We don't have a press box God. We don't have an observer God in the troubles of his people. He's not a detached watcher peeking through the blinds across the street, folding his arms to see how your trouble's gonna go. He's a very present help. Translation, he's an eagerly present help. He's a totally competent helper. There's no trouble you have that's too hard for your God. There's not a trouble you have that would cause God 
to have a bead of sweat fall from his forehead in stress. There's not a sorrow you have that's too great for him to comfort. There's not a, there's not a wound you have that's too deep for him to heal. And, I, and I'm no, I know this morning that from the jump, from like 10 minutes in, I'm saying some big things about God, and there may be some of you who are hearing these things and you have doubt. And I totally understand that. And I want to just address that for a second. The songwriter says, strength, refuge, very present help, and yet you're here to say, how do I know that's true? Like, I really want that to be true, but how can I know? How do I know this isn't just warm religious ramblings? How do I know this isn't just sort of like religious speech for weak people who need a crutch and who otherwise wouldn't be able to get along in life? How do I know you're not just saying things that you want to be true about God to make yourself feel better, but they're maybe not actually true? How do do we know you're not just making these things up about God? Maybe you have doubts because you're here wondering, I'm not even sure God's real. If he is, then maybe he is a refuge and strength, but I'm not sure he's real. Maybe you would say, I hear you saying he's a very present help in trouble, but you don't know my trouble. Isn't it often true that we can believe things about God, but all of a sudden when it comes to our situation, it feels different? You don't know my trouble. You're saying that he's a comfort and a courage and ready to help, but my chest and my life feels like a mosh pit. And I can't seem to find God anywhere. Listen, I want you to hear that the message of this song isn't a song. The songwriters didn't write this song blind to the real stuff of life, the real stuff of the world. The writers of this song, will be introduced to them in a second. The writers of this song wrote these lyrics, eyes wide open and with wind in the face. So, so I often think about what the writers are saying here like um, teaching my kids to ride a bike. And I don't mean to dumb this down, but I really think about it like teaching my kids to ride a bike. I've got four kids, as I mentioned, and thanks be to God, they all know how to ride a bike without training wheels. It's amazing. It's an amazing feat, really. And you know this, if you're a parent and teach your kid to ride a bike, like the first time you go out in the middle of the street with no training wheels, there's a lot of excitement until the first wobble. There's a lot of excitement until that first moment of like, you mean I can't just sit here like a limp noodle and it go? There's a lot of excitement until that moment happens, and then when that happens, it feels like there's a whole world of emotions that swirls up, and they now start to believe things about you that aren't true. You brought me out here to kill me. You don't love me. You could have stopped all of this. You, you're going to abandon me, aren't you? All these narratives about who I am as their father start to be challenged because of a wobble, because of trouble. And the thing to do in that moment isn't to say, you know what, you're right, the trouble's too big, let's just get off the bike and go grab a milkshake. No, 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 the thing to do is to stay on the bike. Because what I need to do in that moment is not just teach my child how to ride a bike. What I need to do in that moment is reshape their emotions about what's true in me as their father to be a very present help in trouble. You think you're wobbling. You think you're at risk. You think I'm going to abandon you. I've been holding the back of your seat the whole time. You still don't even have a skid on your knee. I'm here. That's what needs to happen. And that's what the writer of this song is trying to tell us. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, even when it seems like you're wobbling, there is no refuge like God. There's no strength like God. There's no one more eager to help and able to help and more present to help like God. 
He's holding the back of your seat the whole time. In fact, this is what he goes on to say, verse 2. Therefore, we're not going to fear. Even if the earth gives way, even if the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea, even if the waters are roaring and foaming and the mountains tremble at their swelling, even if the mountains are scared of what the waters are doing, we're not going to fear. And he says, Selah, a Hebrew way of saying, stop and think about what I've just said. The songwriter is saying, even when life gives you its worst, God will stop at nothing to keep his people. And what's crazy about this song is not so much that God will keep you from trouble. This song actually assumes trouble. He's the present help in trouble. This song assumes trouble. It's not that God keeps you from trouble, but notice it assumes trouble, but it also assumes God. It assumes God is there. And, and here's what's amazing about this. I told you we'd be introduced to the writer of these lyrics. There may be no one better to give us the lyrics to this song than the writers who gave it to us. We're told in the superscript, again, there's instructions to a choir master, but then we're told the writer is the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. They know something about what they're writing. You might not have Korah as a ready name on recall in your knowledge of the Bible. We're only given one chapter on Korah. It's in your favorite book of the Bible, the book of Numbers. You love Numbers, don't you? It's chapter 16 of the book of Numbers. One chapter in your favorite book, we're told about Korah, a guy who was an Israelite, wandering around in the wilderness with the rest of his people after being freed from Egypt, and he's tired of it. I was told about a land of milk and honey. I don't see milk or honey anywhere. Desert. We're wandering in circles. He's fed up with where they are. He's fed up with the leader Moses. He thinks he has better plans for God's people to get to safety than God does. And so what Korah does is he rallies a few friends and tries to whip up a rebellion. He comes to Moses and says, I'm tired of this and we're not going to follow anymore. Moses says, I hear your confrontation. Show up tomorrow and we'll let God settle this. God might have a word about his plans for his people. Show up tomorrow morning. Number 16, the way it reads out, real frank, Korah and his friends show up the next morning with Moses, and, and, and Moses says, I believe the Lord God says, everyone stand back. <laughs> the nation pulls back, and they watch, and in a moment that shocks everyone, the earth gives way, and Korah and his friends are swallowed to be seen no more. God brought a judgment on Korah and his friends, and it was a sign to all of the people that God and his purposes will not fail, even in the midst of trouble, he will fight for his people, and he will be faithful to his people. And so now, here's what's leaning with this. Now the sons of Korah, who had their father swallowed by the earth in a judgment from God, are writing a song to say, even if the earth gives way, and in case you are confused, we've actually seen that happen. Even if the earth gives way, God will be strong for his people. He'll fight for them, and his purposes will not be opposed. And notice, the sons of Korah not just give us a song. They tell us how this song is supposed to be sung. It says, according to Alamoth. That's a Hebrew musical term referring to the voices of the young. The songwriters intended this to be a song of the children's choir. <laughs> and the whole idea is this. The strength of God is not leveraged for the strong, but the strength of God is leveraged for the weak. 
And I want you to hear about the strength of God from the voices of the most vulnerable among us. Let the vulnerable sing, God has our back, even if the earth gives way. God is a strength and a refuge, even for us who can't do anything for ourselves. Your father's shadow is a really safe place to stand. And so I just want to say, if you're here today and you find yourself like in any of these categories, chaos, worry, fear, insecurity, a fractured faith, if you find yourself in these categories, like I'm not saying this in a trite way, I'm saying this in every bit of meaningfulness that I have, this song is written for you. Like, look to God. This song is written for you. This song moves from God as protector. I want you to notice the second, the second section of the song, to God our comfort. Pick up in verse four. The writer says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, and she shall not be moved, and God will help her when morning dawns. Here's what Korah's sons are telling us, that for the people of God, even when it feels like life is raging against you, even when it feels like life is giving you its worst, there is a stream of refreshment that shows up in the chaos. Isn't it true? God will not leave his people to hold the bag for themselves. There's a river of gladness. The reference here is of the presence of God himself. Verse five says he's in the midst of his people. And so he references here the city of God and the holy habitation of the Most High. And for Old Testament Israel, these were references to the temple. If you know your Old Testament, the presence of God in the Old Testament was isolated to the temple. That to experience God, you had to go to a place. But we look at this as New Testament readers, where the presence of God moves from a place like a temple to a person in God's own son. And so what happens for all those who look to Jesus, he now pours out the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of the living God, to indwell you, to live inside of you, all who look to him. So all the more for us as New Testament Christians, the writer wants us to know, the God who protects you, the God who is your strength and your refuge, is also in your midst. He's even in you. He's holding you. This is why he says, you won't ultimately be moved. You'll be affected. You'll be shaped. You might take some wind in the face. But you won't ultimately give way because God has your back. This is why he goes on in verse 6. I love this. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. The world around you might collectively lose its mind. Anyone, amen. The world around you might collectively lose its mind, but notice he utters his voice and the earth melts. Hey, do you remember that moment? in the life of Jesus when he's out to sea with his disciples and um, the waters are raging and these trained sailors are freaked out for their life. Like they're like, we're gonna die. God, Jesus brought us out here to die. And he's taking a nap in the stern of the boat. Like he's sound asleep. So these trained sailors are scared for their life. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up and they say, aren't you, did you bring us out here to kill us? Jesus looks at his disciples, groggy from his nap. He looks at the wind and the waves. He stands up in the boat. I'm not even sure how that kind of divine sturdiness happened. He stands up in the boat and he says two words, be still. And it was. 
And what's amazing about that story is the disciples who previously were freaked out for their life to be taken by these raging winds are now freaked out for their life because they realize who's in their midst. Even the wind and the waves obey you. A stronger force than the wind and the waves is here. God himself is in our midst and the earth melts. And the earth melts. And so I offer that to say the same God who has the voice to melt the earth, please hear this, the same God who has the voice to melt the earth His word is offered to you to melt your anxieties. Psalm 94, verse 19. I love the way this is phrased. Not if, but when the cares of my heart are many. When I'm absolutely freaked out, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Your comforts cheer my soul. Hey, I don't, again, I don't want to offer anything trite today. But I just want to say as a moment with any kind of pastoral authority that I might have, give yourself to the book. Give yourself to the book. There is power in these words that can go to places in your soul that no other words can go. There is a power There is a power to melt fears inside of you that no other power can get to, no other voice can get to. When he utters his voice, the earth melts. And I want you to know this about scriptures. What's happening here is God is speaking, and for all those who look to him, he leverages his voice for you, not against you. Give yourself to the book. The songwriter ends section two with a bang in verse seven. He says, so the Lord of hosts is with us, And the God of Jacob is our fortress. And again, he says, Selah, think about this. And so he reiterates for a third time in seven verses what we're prone to forget. The thing that you're prone to trivialize, the thing that I'm prone to trivialize, he reiterates, it's this, God is with you. He's really with you. Don't sleep on the repetition Verse one, he's a present help in trouble. Verse five, he's in your midst to hold you so that you're not moved. And here in verse seven, it's like he ratchets it up every time. For the third time, he says this, the Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies is with you. He's with you. And he says the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's a safe place. And he gives this title, God of Jacob, and track with it. It's not a throwaway. You remember Jacob in the book of Genesis? Who is Jacob? He was a liar, a trickster, a thief, a wanderer. The more you get to know Jacob, the more you realize he was someone who had no business with God, and yet the irony of Jacob is that God did business with him, and he kept his business. God made covenant with Jacob when Jacob had no business with God, and God kept his covenant to Jacob. And so by the title God of Jacob, the writer wants you to know, just like God was with Jacob, he is with you. Listen, just like it was with Jacob, God's got a stronger grip on you than you have on him. He's a refuge and a fortress. Just like it was with Jacob, he's a pursuer of those who wander away from him. You can come back to him. He's a safe place. Just like it was with Jacob, you don't have to wrestle with this God. Why? Because he'll fight for you. You can actually surrender to him and trust because he's a safe place for people who have no business with him, yet he does business with them. And so if this song were a musical piece, I'm no artist, I don't stand up here and sing, you would leave the church if I did that. 
But if this were a musical piece, you can just imagine the lyrics themselves, they, they build, don't they? If this had music to it, like you could just feel the music would build. Like you have in the beginning the song of protection, he's a present help. You have the song of comfort, he's in your midst with a voice that's able to melt the chaos. And then in this third section, this final, these final three verses, here's the crescendo of this whole, this whole piece. You're given this invitation, don't just look at God. Because <laughs> you could do that, right? Like, he's a protector. What kind of protector is he? He's a comfort. But this invitation in the last section is an invitation to worship him. Like, to worship him. But notice, it's an invitation to worship with a twist. Look at verse 8. Here's the invitation, come, behold. This isn't a stiff-armed God. Come, behold, like actually draw near, behold what? Look at what? As I worship, what am I to behold? The works of the Lord, the things that he's done. Okay, what works has he done? I want you to notice the desolations he's brought to the earth. That's the worship with a twist. This is when worship goes metal, if I can say it that way, right? Look at the ruin that he's brought. So how is ruin, how are desolations to be a comfort to us? Remember, this is a song that's aimed at drilling into your heart that God really is a refuge. He really is a strength. He really is a fortress. He really is a help. He really will fight for you. We're not just making this up about him. And so he proves it by saying, if you don't believe me that this is who God is, then I just want you to look at the desolations he's brought to the earth on behalf of his people. Look at the links he'll go to have his people. And so for the Hebrew singer, this is amazing. For the Hebrew singer of this song, they would have had ready images in their mind of the floating dead bodies of Egyptian horses and soldiers that were chasing them down in the Red Sea to enslave them again. And yet they go free and God swallows their enemies. <laughs> this is why he goes on. Like this is not a medical, this is not a, a metaphorical refuge. This isn't like an allegory, this is an actual thing. He's like, look at the dead bodies God has won for you to flourish in his presence. He goes on in verse nine. He makes the wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns chariots with fire. The Israelites would have known, wandering in the wilderness, there should have been so many people like kill us by now. Israel should be wiped off the face of the earth. And yet here they are, not just alive, here they are singing a song about how God fights for them. It's amazing. So now I want to turn this. Because we're not just talking about a God who worked desolations back there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still works desolations for his people. Christian, what desolations has he worked for you? What about the cross of Calvary, where Jesus crushes the skull of Satan, your enemy, and your accuser before the face of God by suffering in your place? I'm sure Satan would say with a crushed skull, he's made a desolation of me. What about the desolation of your sin and my sin, the offenses of God, the offenses of your rejection of God before his face where you owe a debt of judgment before him and yet a desolation has been made of your sin because it's been drowned in innocent blood, the blood of Jesus, God's son. What about the desolation of death? Death has been defanged by an empty tomb and there was only folded grave clothes left there as a final taunt. He's made a desolation of death itself. 
And so tell me now that God isn't a refuge. Tell me now he's not a strength. Tell me now he's not a help. Tell me now he's not a fortress. And so here's the the massive crescendo of the song. It closes and the voice flips from the sons of Korah to God himself. It's as though the sons of Korah were like, hey, we're out of lyrics. We don't know what to say anymore. God, can you kind of come in and finish the song for us? And so now hear from his own voice in the famous verse 10. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Let me just say that verse 10 is not saying what you think it's saying. Most of us read verse 10 like some sort of Hobby Lobby piece of art, like a Thomas Kincaid painting or something that you put over the toilet in your restroom, you know? Some of us read this like, hey, your life is crazy. You know what I need? I need a cup of coffee and the kids to be quiet. Selah. That's not verse 10. That's how we read it. It's how I've read it. But the be still and know in Hebrew, guys, is way bigger than that. This is not so much God speaking to This is not so much God speaking to you. Be still and know. This is a God, this is a word from God in your hearing, but a word from God to the enemies of God's people. In the context of the desolations that he's worked, this is a warning to the enemies of God's people that I've got the back of my people. Everyone stand watch and be on guard. So the be still and know is like this. Be still. Drop your weapons and freeze. There is an authority here. I am God. And I know my people. And I will have my people. This is Mr. Miles walking into the living room and with one word giving a warning to me but letting his son know that he's got his back. Enough. Enough. The shadow of your father is a safe place to stand. And I know it may be difficult now, but there's coming a day God says, The sons of Korah aren't saying it. This is God himself saying it from his own mouth. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And on that day, there will be no confusion. No one will be wondering who gets the final word on that day. I will have my people. I will not let them go. And they will be with me. Christian, this is your God. (laughs) Like, I think so much of the time we have this tranquil view of God or this tame view of God, like, like he's a softy in the sky or something. This is your God. Like, God is not a pacifist when it comes to you. The blood-stained cross of Jesus does not say pacifism. It says activism over the peace of his people in his presence. This is your God. This is his character leveraged for you. And so the songwriter ends. There's only one verse left, one lyric, and it ends. Like, what else are you going to say? I love verse 11. The songwriter goes, the Lord of hosts is with us. Like, he's, he's really with us. And the God of Jacob, the God of people who have no business with God, yet he has business with them, he's our fortress. Somehow he's a safe place for us. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, Psalm 46 is an invitation to you. If you're not a Christian, come to the refuge. Come to the refuge. God did not send his son with a fist. 
He sent his son with open hands. Come to the refuge. You're not locked out. Look, look to Jesus and come in. You don't have to get your own back. You don't have to manufacture a good life for yourself. You don't have to cover yourself. That's, his, that's the whole point of Jesus. If you are a Christian, where in your life do you fail to believe that God really is good for you? Psalm 46 is a reminder of the goodness of God. Christian, where have you, where have you stopped believing that God will fight for you? Psalm 46 is a reminder that like, he's not indifferent. One more question, if I can just, if I can offer it. Hey, where in your life do you look to other things for refuge and strength than God? Where in your life are you trying to numb yourself from the chaos of the world and you feel like you have to do that with God plus? Maybe one more way to ask that same question is where in your life are you tired and afraid? Where are you tired and insecure? Because your tiredness and insecurity is probably evidence that what you're giving yourself to can't actually be a refuge for you and it can't actually be strong for you and that's why you're tired and afraid. Look afresh to your refuge. Look afresh to your God. He's not indifferent to you. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say today that you are our refuge and you are our strength. And God, I'm asking that you would recalibrate us to places in our life where um, we, just treat it, we just treat a truth like this, like a feel-good throwaway that the Bible says, but not something that can actually help us in real life. God, would you recalibrate us and would you like rewire our instincts that when trouble comes, we don't just do whatever we can and then throw God on top to hope that that makes the difference. We just, God and God alone, you are my refuge and you are my strength. Restore faith, God, I'm asking. Renew faith. The Lord of hosts is with us. God of Jacob is our fortress. And the people of God said, Amen. We come to this bread and this cup today. Real simple from Scripture. Come behold the works of the Lord. Come behold the desolation, the desolation he brought to his own son on our behalf. Where we deserve judgment, but Christ took that and we get grace. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, a desolation made for your peace. Take and eat. He takes the cup and he raises it. This is my blood poured out for you in the new covenant. This is about the forgiveness of your sins, the desolation of God's own son having his blood poured out for your peace. 
come behold the works of the Lord, Christian. If you're a baptized follower of the Lord Jesus, come to these tables and receive. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'd ask that you abstain from this table, not, not because we don't want you here. What we're saying is the Jesus of Scripture is our Lord. And if that's not yet true for you, that this table and this bread and this cup, it just doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean. And it might actually be harmful to you when you think about what's happening here and God making a sign to his people without receiving that sign first. So we'd love to talk to you about what it is to become a Christian. We'll rearrange schedules to talk about that kind of stuff. But followers of Jesus, come to these tables and receive.